Hey, everyone. We are back to have another conversation. We're actually going to have a few conversations about um, wisdom and discernment. We we mentioned in, in the last couple episodes, we've been talking about the state of the evangelical church. And um, you, you should go back and listen to those for context if, if you haven't yet. Um, we... We talked a lot in the last episode about about having a lot of hope for the future and moving forward. Our goal with this is not to be super negative about it, but one of the things we did talk about is how in our culture, in American evangelical culture, there is a real lack of wisdom right now. We don't discern particularly well around things in the world and things in culture. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a few conversations about um, what are some of the ways out of that that we see? How can we get better at these things? So rather than just... Um, harp on where we're at, which is in a place where we don't think we discern particularly well. We've talked about, you know, politics, conspiracies, uh, you know, kind of Christian celebrities and charlatans and some of that stuff, how we how we keep falling for that stuff. Um, but rather than harp on those things over and over, what we're going to do is we're going to take a few episodes now and talk about what we what we feel like are the way forward out of some of those things and do it into a wiser, more discerning place. And today we're going to talk uh, about that through the lens of theology. Yeah, we say often that theology in general should kind of undergird everything that we think uh, and be the foundation of a lot of the decisions that we make. So how we think about God and who we think he is should inform really everything in our whole life. This is, this is foundational stuff. So we need to have good doctrine and we need to have good theology around this. It's one of those topics that if we get these things right that we're going to talk about, I think it'll help make us a lot more wise. Just consumers of information and how we engage with the public square, all of that stuff. So it, it may seem kind of lofty and heady, but I think it's really, really practical. It is very practical. And I think in a lot of cases, people, whether they're sort of newer to faith or even people who have, like me, maybe have grown up in an evangelical church their whole life, I think a lot of times people look at Scripture and say, there isn't a lot of practical application here for today. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just simply don't think that. We think there's a ton in the Bible um, that should be the underpinnings, like you said, of of how we navigate the world and culture. But but so often we there's kind of this this idea of like yeah you've got your Bible knowledge and then you've got your practical stuff and it's like no as Christians our whole our whole faith and our whole life should be built on on a grounding in biblical authority. We believe um, that the Bible is inspired by God and that it's, it's fully authoritative. And so. We can't, we can't really believe that and then also say like, yeah, but like practically, mm-hmm. how does it apply to my life? It applies in a lot of ways, right. not always directly, but um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it takes a lot of hard work. So this, like, it doesn't just come out and tell you exactly like who you should vote for. It doesn't come out and say, you know, this is, this is what you should say when this happens. It doesn't say that stuff, but it does help create wisdom. Right. So uh, first let's start off talking about um, the gospel theology and the gospel of the kingdom. So um We've had a lot of conversations lately, and, and more I've been exploring this and thinking through this, even in the last few years, um, realized how the the term gospel for me has just meant like the salvation story, or mm-hmm. the personal individualized salvation. And as you see how Jesus used it throughout the gospels, which again, <laughs> word gospel is used in a lot of different ways. Um, it's used to the four gospels, it's used for personal salvation, but it's how Jesus used it is more often the good news of the kingdom of God. So you would say often that that the, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news is, is that the kingdom is coming. And the kingdom is a very big, broad uh, concept. So I'm not going to go through a whole like teaching on this, but it's more than just personal salvation. And I realized that, it's, that I had been thinking about it as personal salvation for most of my life when right. I use the word gospel. 
but but really it had sociopolitical implications when they said the word gospel. That this was uh, the gospel is the good news of what uh, a king would declare when they came in after war into the city and were celebrating. It had big um, sociopolitical implications as well. So when Jesus tos, chose to use that term and the gospel writers chose to use that term, it, it was bigger than that. It meant uh, societal change. It meant whole um, communities. It meant groups. And it, it meant change on a larger scale than just one individual. Certainly the salvation message is at the heart of that and how people and how communities change, how institutions change is through individual salvations and people changing their hearts, turning towards God. But ultimately, it's much bigger than that. Yeah, and, and there's been a lot of ways going back through history where the gospel theology of the kingdom has been lost. A lot of people grew up with the idea that the gospel is just about me. Have I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Am I going to heaven? And what about my family? We want to be in heaven with Jesus forever, right? That's part of it, but it's not the whole picture, we believe. And so because of that, we believe um, that things like uh, things like justice issues that, that come up— um, those are things we should care about. Those are a part of um, our kingdom theology to navigate those things and try to do that well. Paul addresses those things all the time in his letters, um, talking about you know um, there is no there is no neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither uh, slave nor free. Those are those are ways of him saying like, hey guys, in this kingdom of, of heaven, those markers aren't going to exist, and so we shouldn't be reinforcing them here on earth. That doesn't mean that we can solve them completely. Only Jesus can complete that work, but mm-hmm. but we shouldn't be reinforcing them, and even if they make us comfortable here on earth. You just, in, a, in your sermon last week, you talked about this a little bit, and you said, like, if you're reinforcing some of those some of those things that divide us, um, heaven's going to be really uncomfortable for you because they're going to be gone. I thought it was a really good picture to, to give people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the other thing I would say is, so... Over the years, that when you get away from the kingdom, the kingdom gospel, and you're into more of like a personal salvation only gospel, that has been used to reinforce um, to reinforce bad things. You know, it, if you if you go back to the 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 South and during slavery, uh, there were many many Christian plantation owners who thought like the best thing I can do for this slave is to get them to accept Jesus into their heart. And that was a way of them feeling like, no, I'm, I'm doing my Christian duty. I'm doing the right thing. I'm helping them, but they can also continue to make me money without me having to pay them, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's reinforced comforts. It's reinforced divides. It's reinforced um, existing injustices uh, f- historically throughout the, throughout the history of our country. Mm-hmm. And so... That doesn't believe. That doesn't mean if if you believe it today, or this is the first time you've heard the idea of a kingdom that you do those things. That's not what I'm saying. But um, that has happened, right? Right. And so we do think it's important to push back against that idea because mm-hmm. a, a hyper individualistic view of the gospel is going to lead to some really to re- some really bad places. Yeah. So there's the hyper individualistic view, and then there's the other end, which is the that tends to neglect the individualistic aspect and mm-hmm. think only in systems and communities and organizations, big picture. Um, that's problematic too. Right. It's both and. Right. It's um, the way I think of it is uh, the foundation of it all is is the personal salvation where individuals come to accept Jesus and believe in Him. They exist in a church community, which is a smaller, meant to be a microcosm of the people of God in each local setting. But then that church community of changed people is meant to exist and live in a community 
that reaches out and eventually changes their community and makes their entire uh, community think of think of like Burlington for us, right? It makes that a better place, mm-hmm. and that multiplied throughout uh, the churches in cities all over the globe is how the gospel was meant to be spread. So it is like personal salvation is church focused, and then it is also outward focused for the world to make this world a better place. So it's start, it's all of it. And we, we can't overemphasize one and underemphasize another because the gospel is so important. So that has huge implications for how the church interacts with politics and how are we being a light to the world? Are we bringing and demonstrating the gospel in the political square? Um, because we care about the world and we should care about the world because it's not like a, it's all going to burn mentality. Right. Because Jesus is coming back to, um, to redeem all of creation. And so we should be working towards that end now. Right. And so if you hear us talking about, you know, things, things along those lines and that maybe you, you're not used to churches addressing, this might be why. Mm-hmm. It's because we do believe that it's part of our gospel call as a church to address these things, to address um, racial reconciliation and, and pursuing racial reconciliation, to address uh, abortion, right? To address um, other social issues that we say like, hey, we're not going to just say, I'm going to heaven someday, so I'm not going to care about this stuff. That is not the approach that we should have as Christians. And that, if you haven't heard that in church before, you might hear that and say, like, wow, these guys are a lot more liberal than I thought or whatever. That's probably, it's probably not what you think. It's Mm -hmm. probably more grounded in theology than anything political or anything else. And I think we have to, we have to be able to detach ourselves from what's generally a a very political lens in which Americans Mm -hmm. see the world in order to see that. But that's, there's a lot more that we can talk about with the gospel. I mean, that's, I mean, we're trying to dial it down into a few minutes. But if you have more questions about that, we can certainly talk with you or point you to other resources that um, Bible Project's got some great stuff and, and some others. But next, let's talk about um, about human dignity and just the theology of human dignity and how that plays into how we need to navigate mm-hmm. what's happening in the world as yeah. Christians. As Christians, we believe that all people are created in the image of God, whether you believe in Jesus or not. And therefore, um, all people have intrinsic uh, dignity. So uh, people use the term value. I don't like the term value because it still implies that there's a monetary component to it, which there isn't, right? Because humans have this dignity and value no matter what. So that has, again, massive implications for how we approach public policy now and how we approach caring for the poor, how we approach abortion, how we approach immigration, how we approach all of these big issues that we're wrestling with as a nation. And if we don't begin with all people, so even even the people who hate us and want to destroy America, even if it's a radical Muslim extremist who wants to destroy America, right? They have dignity before God, right? And we should we shouldn't be so quick to hate them. Well, first of all, in our heart, and we shouldn't be so quick to want to see them destroyed, um, because that's a tragedy. This is a human person. All people are created in God's image, so we should care for them and, and hold them with, with dignity and value, no matter what. Um, so again, that has, that has wide implications. But if we get that theology, it should filter into all of these topics. I think we, we see a lot of death and we see a lot of violence. And I'm not, like, not going to harp on violent video games or something like that. <laughs> but we do sometimes, we forget that when somebody dies... It's it's a really sad thing, mm-hmm. um, and so, or, or we, we because of our political lens or whatever, we only mourn death in some instances, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is where if if we're really following what we believe the Bible says about human dignity, 
um, we're not going to end up cleanly aligning with with either political aisle in our country right now um, because both are, are, are really flawed around this stuff. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we do think. Um, and so I would be in favor of abortion being overturned. You know, I, 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 I think abortion is an atrocity. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people, maybe you're... Maybe you're listening to this and you're um, more on the liberal side of, of the political spectrum. And, and I've heard the arguments about like, yeah, but but the church needs to be pro-life in other ways. Agreed. Mm-hmm. It would cause separate challenges right. to eliminate abortion. I'll take those challenges. And I don't think the church will perfectly meet those challenges. I still don't think we should be killing those babies. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually pretty simple for me through that human dignity dignity lens. Something like um, when a black person gets shot by a police officer, right? Um, I don't need to wait for the facts to be really sad, mm-hmm. right? There's no, there's, I, I don't, I, I shouldn't immediately accuse. I should, I should be wise, but I don't need to wait for the facts before I know like this is a tragic situation, right? And uh, I can mourn with those who mourn um, regardless. So after somebody gets shot and, and within a couple of days, there's, there's two narratives about the character of that person. Those to me as a, as a Christian who believes that person has inherent human dignity as an image bearer of God, neither of those, um, neither of those, uh, narratives about their character has any relevance to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tragedy that a person lost their life and, but we are desensitized to that. And so instead we say, okay, but okay, but this or okay, but that, and we move to different things right away instead of just like sitting with the fact that that's happened. You know, um, COVID is going to kill half a million people in our country. Mm-hmm. That's that's a staggering number of people, right. and it's a it is a huge tragedy. It doesn't matter if a lot of them were going to die anyway because they were old or had other. It's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Period. End of story. You know. Um, and that is a human dignity lens that, if consistently applied, um, looks ridiculous to people who are in are in left and right categories in our country. I think that's really great. And those those are the examples um, that are probably front and center in our current political view is is race reconciliation uh, and abortion and things like COVID. Um, let's start with like just grieving the loss of a human life. Right. And if human dignity is a core theology that we hold to, then we need to start there and not be so quick to move on to self-justifications. I always think about when there's a shooting, um, I think about attending a funeral and when someone's eulogized at a funeral, I think about what, what would it be like to, to stand up and be like, actually you're only talking about the positives of this person, you know? Um, or to stand up maybe as, as a pastor when, when you know, when, whatever, someone says like, well, now they're, they're an angel. They've got their wings in heaven. It's like, actually, you're not correct about any of that stuff. That's not what's going to happen when they die based on the Bible. And I can take you to chapter and verse. And, uh, and here's the commentary. Like, like, there are times when being right isn't as important yep. as Not simply time. being like broken with a person who's broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if we can't do that, like, we have a real soul issue, you know? Um, and so I think some of that we need to remember and definitely navigate through that lens of first is being like, gosh, what this is heartbreaking, right? And next. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk to nature next. I think that's a good transition. So again, using that example of a, 
uh, of an officer involved shooting. We have a theology that all humans are sinful by nature. Mm-hmm. So whenever we see an instant incident like that happen, we're going to first just grieve, right? And at the loss of life and how tragic that is. And then next, we're not just going to jump to one narrative or another and just assume that all police officers are right and good because they're sinful. Also not assume that the victim wasn't doing anything wrong because he couldn't have been because he is, is good because we believe that he is sinful as well. Right. So when these incidents happen, if our theology of sinful nature is at play here, we're going to say, we don't know. We don't know. We just don't know what happened. And we're going to do our best to wait and see the information that comes out. And so we grieve first and then we just wait and see because of our theology that all people are sinful. Yeah. And so it, Anytime, if, if we find ourselves, this is a, an easy way to lose to lose sight of wisdom. Anytime we find ourselves with with clean categories about who's good and who's bad, yeah. um, it's bad theology around sin nature, right? So, like right. rich rich people bad, poor people good. Uh, no, right? Or vice versa, rich people good, poor people bad. Not true, right? So there there are those narratives do exist again in our country where it's like. Poor people are are just a they're just a product of their own res- irresponsible actions, and they can't figure it out. Whereas whereas uh, wealthy people are responsible; they make good decisions, you know, and so they're the good ones. Or on the, the inverse of that would be, wealthy people have climbed on the backs of others and abused people to get their power, and poor people just they're just the oppressed and they've never had a chance. And the reality of the situation is, we all know if we think about it that there are poor people who. You know, if given the opportunity, if someone said like, all right, here, I'm going to give you the opportunity to change your life, some would take advantage of that and some would not. Mm-hmm. And there are rich people who take advantage of people and those who only use uh, their wealth to help people. We, we all can think of examples of both of those things. Right. And so when, when we put them into clean categories like that, it, it's, um, it's just, it's kind of preposterous. And, and we have to keep a wiser and more more accurate theological lens around, around sin nature in that regard. Absolutely. Um, next one I want to talk about too is the inspiration and authority. Um, I forgot to listen to the podcast that I was listening to from Christianity Today. I was going to re-listen to it again to see exactly how they framed this statistic that they said. Um, but the statistic was 68% of, I think it was, um, it was white, uh, born-again Christians would say that the Constitution is inspired. Okay. Like inspired by God. Yeah. Like in, Which would put it as equal with Scripture. In. Yep. On par with the Bible. Right. Um, in a lot of ways. And now I, I understand how someone can misunderstand that to be like, oh, well, there's some pretty cool, like a lot of wisdom in here that God must have... Judeo-Christian principles. Called right. them to, right? Right. Um, but to say, like, this is inspired... To right. me, immediately goes to like holding that on par with scripture. Right. And we, we really do have, and, and then it becomes a source of ultimate authority in your life. So then the constitution becomes on par with scripture for authority in life and practice and thinking about the world. So then our, our values of, for example, something like our, our American identity and value of freedom becomes on par with what scripture teaches about our freedom. And so, the American value of using your freedom to leverage your own benefits for you to be uh, more successful, more wealthy, to pass your wealth onto your grandkids, all of that stuff. Um, That becomes a value that we hold on the same level as the scriptural imperatives 
which is all over scripture, and we've been covering them in Sunday repeatedly throughout this campaign, of using your freedom, not for your own benefit, but being willing to lay that aside and help benefit another. So what that looks like, I think, for us to view that imperative in scripture as a higher authority than our constitutional imperatives is for us to consider with our vote, especially like, how is my vote? Can I use my vote to not just elevate my own circumstances and my own situations, but to help others? Mm -hmm. Okay. So again, I'm not giving you clear cut answers here because I don't know what each situation and candidates and platforms it's going to present itself. But I think that should come into our calculus is to use our freedom to vote to help others and not just think about ourselves. Yeah, so practical example of, of why it's important that we hold the Bible above the Constitution, right? Um, freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. I love freedom of speech. Right. I think it's a great, it's a great thing to have. I don't, I, I'm not going to be a big fan of, of crackdowns where they say, okay, you can't say that, you can't say this. I think freedom of speech is really important and it's very good. The Bible says to be slow to speak. Mm-hmm. The Bible says to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak. And so as Christians, while we can, while we can celebrate that free speech exists in our country— we should more than that um, be slow to speak, because the Bible is is our founding document. Yeah. It's it's the one that matters more to us, right? And so, um, if you're concerned about free speech and that free speech going away, okay, that's a valid concern. But um, if you find yourself elevating free speech to a place where maybe you're like you're championing people who say um, whatever, a YouTuber who says like really outlandish or offensive things in the name of like carving out space for free speech. Like that as Christians, that's not our thing. Like our fight is not for free speech and um, it's a good thing and it's good for Christians to have it obviously, but being slow to speak is, is our higher imperative. Mm -hmm. And so we can't lose, we can't lose sight of that. And there's, I can give you, there's tons of examples of that where we, where the Bible and the Constitution, like, well, they kind of say different things about this. We got to pick Bible. Mm-hmm. Christian, you got to pick Bible. It just is, it just is what it is. Every time. That's, yep. that's what we believe. That's how highly we, we believe in the authority of Scripture. Absolutely. Yep, and if that's the case, then Scripture, scripture says a lot about how we're supposed to engage with the political sphere. If, we look at it, if we're looking at it through that lens of Scripture being the foundation of it. So think, think about Christian ethics even and how, our current political climate just does not represent Christian ethics. So things like slander, like in, in the political world, it's okay to uh, completely slander your political opponent to reduce their credibility in the public's eye, whatever. If you're a Christian politician, that is not okay. It's not okay. And if you're a Christian watching that, you should not be okay with that. Things and, like sorry, yeah, I was go gonna say, beware of the beware of the ends justify the means thing, where you say like, yeah. I know it's not great to slander so and so, but mm-hmm. it's gonna it it's important because of this greater. We gotta win, right? Yep. Like, yep. No, we can't. We have to avoid the the ends justify the means thing. Um, it leads to atrocities. It just does <laughs> throughout history. It does. We have to avoid that, and we have to say what's the right thing yep. uh, in this situation. Absolutely. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, the other one. The other one I thought of is turn the other cheek, right? Um, a lot of the the narratives that I hear now are, uh, well, the left drove us to it or the right drove us to it. Right. It's, it's a retaliation. What did you expect? What did you expect me to do? Um, that's not a biblical imperative. The biblical imperative is to turn the other cheek. So that's where our, our, our biblical values 
if we hold scripture as the ultimate authority, it will conflict with constitutional values and other things. The last example I was thinking of is around um, presumed innocence. So the the idea like in our, in our justice system, right? If you, you get charged with something, you are innocent until you're proven guilty. Mm-hmm. That's, that is a kind of a bedrock of um, our justice system. I'm not saying that happens perfectly every time, but that is how it's supposed to work, right? Mm-hmm. Comparing that, going back to sin nature as part of what we, you know, what we believe about human beings, the Bible talks about being, um, you know, deceitful, wicked, you know, um, presumed innocence, it's a really good judicial policy, it's also really, really bad theology. Right. And so what that means is how that plays out and how that has played out in churches like ours over the years is their presumed innocence sometimes gets misapplied. Mm-hmm. So somebody, um, you know, a, a pastor gets accused of sexual assault or mishandling finances or whatever, whatever it is. And it's like, well, unless there's any proof, you know, um, that we just have to, you know, like prove it basically. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it should need to be proven for him to go to jail, but not for us to take it seriously, right. you know? And so there is within our, like kind of um, within our evangelical culture, there is a tendency just to say like, so-and-so they're, they're a Christian. They're one of us. They would never do that. And it's like, no, they, they might because I have to be honest and say like, I'm a few bad decisions away from maybe me doing something like that. Right. That's the posture that we should have about ourselves. And so when I hear, when I see, you know, Christian leader did this, Christian leader did that. And I see people saying that guy wouldn't do that thing or not. It doesn't have to be a leader person, you know, from, from your community, from your church, whatever, like wouldn't do that thing. And it's like, well, I might do that thing. So why am I assuming that they wouldn't do that thing? Like that's a, that's actually a better theological posture to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and so around, you know, around, around sexual sin, finances and around race, mm-hmm. I think race is a big one where, where, you know, we, I, I, there's a lot of things where I could say to, to people in my church, like, you might have this in your heart. And they'd be like, amen. You might have this in your heart. Amen. You might, you might have some racial prejudice in your heart. And they'd be like, well, prove it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, what have I ever, do, what, what's your evidence for that? Yeah. And it's like, my evidence is that I know that at times I have had it in my heart. Mm-hmm. And so you might have it in your heart. It's not, this isn't a, it's not a witch hunt. It's good theology. Yep. Right. And so. And so we have to be aware of the, of the times that we, we, we misapply that idea. Mm-hmm. Like, no, unless, unless you can prove it, um, then I'm good to go. You know, it's like, well, guess what? Most of my sin is in secret. How about you? Mm-hmm. There's not, when I, when I binge eat, and there's generally not anybody around, guys. <laughs> it's usually me alone at night at my kitchen table. Okay? Just holding a whole box of cereal. When I've looked at things on the internet I shouldn't look at, guess who was sitting next to me? Mm -hmm. Nobody. Right. So the prove it idea is ridiculous. And we know that. If we know our own hearts, we know that. Mm -hmm. So let's be honest about it. It's a great, I don't want to go to jail for something that wasn't proven. But if you're my friend, if you love me as as a brother or sister in Christ, don't assume that I'm innocent about everything all the time. Right. I don't want that out of my church community. But that's just, that's another clear example of how the two, mm-hmm. the two get conflated, right? Absolutely. Go I want to say one more thing, because I think on. it's important. And I want to say it because I think it's better than, than you saying it. The, the Bible is, it's designed to be read to gain wisdom. Mm-hmm. There is some real truth in there. There's some, there's some things that are directly applicable to your life very clearly and very easily. There's also things that you're supposed to read and wrestle with. And over time, 
you become wise. Mm -hmm. And in our culture, in evangelical culture, we like the shortcut. So we Mm -hmm. say like, I don't really want to wrestle with the Bible. Just tell me how to invest my money. Tell me how to lead my family. Tell me how to, like, we just have these things um, that we we want to oversimplified shortcut version. Mm -hmm. That is part of, that's ingrained in our our culture. We don't really want to wrestle with scripture very much. We believe that the scripture is um, fully authoritative, but we, we, most of us don't really want to know it really well ourselves. That's a big problem mm-hmm. because, because wrestling with scripture is a way of gaining real godly wisdom that can apply to a lot of situations. There's nothing in the Bible specifically about what's a, you know, um, what's conspiracy theory, what isn't there. The Bible doesn't have a lot to say about that necessarily, but the wisdom that's gained by wrestling with these things for yourself versus saying, just pastor, just tell me what to think or, um, or podcaster or influencer tell me what to think. The wisdom that's gained by actually wrestling with that stuff for yourself is invaluable. And so that's how we try to teach the Bible at our church. We don't tell you what it says and just say like, believe this, believe us, move on. Um, and now let's, let's talk about the stuff you really care about. Let's talk about the practical stuff. No, learning the Bible well, learning the wisdom that the Bible has by wrestling with it over time will help you in every area of your life. And if you've grown up in church, if you're like me and you've grown up in a church like ours, and you can think of five books that have had more of an impact on your life than the Bible, you know, whatever, the Enneagram, the Dave Ramsey, this, whatever, like, that's not a problem with the Bible. That's not the Bible's fault. The Bible has a wealth of knowledge and wisdom that you can apply to every area in your life. And we've got a guy at our church who teaches the Bible really well. And a lot of times I feel like people are like, I wish it was simpler. I wish he would just talk about stuff that actually applied to my life. And it's like, dude, if that's the way you're thinking about it, you are, you are missing, you are missing the big story of scripture and you're missing the point of why we teach the Bible the way we do and what you need to learn from it. So engage in this stuff, dive into it. If you're not, if you're not listening to the stuff the Bible project is putting out right now, I don't, I I don't, I can't help you. Mm -hmm. It's so good. It's a hundred percent free. And it's, I've learned a ton. You would say you've learned a ton. Absolutely. Most churches like ours, if you're in a white-collar American evangelical church, what you generally tend to do is say, we want a guy who went to seminary to come to our church. Um, he needs to have that degree, and then we'll hire him, and then we don't ever want him to use it. We don't, because we're not actually that curious about Scripture. We don't really want to learn it. We just want him to simplify it down to stuff that actually matters to us. That's, we cannot believe that the Bible is fully authoritative and then not actually care or be curious about learning what it actually says for ourselves. That's not acceptable. It's a way towards having... not having wisdom, not having discernment. So if you, we hope that you see that when we teach the Bible the way we do, when we dive in the way we do, when we try to pique your curiosity, when we try to point you towards, uh, towards exploring it for yourself, we hope you see that this is what we're trying to do. Easy answers, clear answers, and, and someone else doing the homework for you is not the way forward. The way forward is we have to say, Hey, if, if we're really going to build our lives around this, this theology, this truth, we should probably know it for ourselves. And, and, and the reality of the situation is our, the, the evangelical subculture is very often more more grounded in our own culture than we are in truth. Mm-hmm. And if we don't know the Bible, well, we know our culture better than we know the Bible. When things start to get picked apart in the culture, we feel like our theology is falling apart when in reality, it might not have anything to do with what the Bible says. And so we have to desi- desire and be curious about and, and long to know the scripture better. And, um, I'm, I'm yelling at everybody about that stuff because, because I, I, it drives me nuts when people think that the way that, the way that you, John teach, 
um, doesn't doesn't check a lot of those boxes. I think it's I think it's excellent, and I think it's the right way. And I hope you at least understand what we're doing, even if it's not your favorite style. I hope you at least understand what we're doing because we think it's so important to navigating our world with wisdom and with discernment. Thanks again. If you guys want to keep this conversation going, let us know. We're happy to we're happy to talk with you about this. Uh, we'll keep recording these and putting them out. Thanks for listening.